Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, May 21st, 2022. There is no Christianity without the cross. Christianity and the cross are inextricably linked. You read through the New Testament again and again, it points back to the cross. Paul proclaims that he preaches Christ and him crucified. If there's been any one symbol that Christians have used throughout the ages more than others, it is that symbol of the cross. You can't have Christianity without the cross. And while we'll see passages that point toward the cross all year long, yesterday and today, we are particularly looking at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, reading about Jesus on the cross. We're reading that account from all four gospels. Yesterday, we read Matthew and Mark. Today, we will look at Luke 23, 33 through 46, and John 19, 18 through 30. And each of these gospels will add some unique things to the account. Again, none of it contradicts each other, but as they record the events of Jesus on the cross, uh, Luke gives us something that the other gospels don't mention, and John will as well. So let's look at some of these things. Starting in Luke, uh, we see some familiar things. We see the mocking like we looked at yesterday, but what we see today, the only gospel that records this account of the thief on the cross. And let's look at it, starting in verse 39. It says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so as we think about that account, it's, it's a beloved account all throughout the history of Christianity and for good reason. This is a beautiful and simple picture of faith. And lots of times we think of the thief on the cross as kind of the exception to the rule, the deathbed conversion kind of thing. And that's where, yes, I don't think we should, any of us should try to plan for a deathbed conversion. But I think this actually is more of a picture of salvation for all of us. You might not have been hanging on a cross when you got saved. You might not be on your deathbed but when you, when you got saved. But some of the elements of what the thief on the cross does uh, really is what should be true of all of us. I mean, the first thing that we really see him doing here is admitting his own guilt. And, and even we see that the first words out of his mouth are, do you not fear God? He starts to acknowledge what you know. everyone that becomes a Christian should acknowledge. There is a God and I am in big trouble with that God. Right? Do you not fear God? Uh, why are you mocking this man? And even then he goes on to admit we are receiving what we deserve, basically, is what he says. So he admits that there is a God and that his sin has put him at odds with that God. But then he turns to Jesus. 
When he says these simple words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, those words are actually pretty loaded with theology. I mean, he is acknowledging that Jesus is the king. Really, he's acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah as he is acknowledging that Jesus has this coming kingdom. And imagine how much faith that takes as well. He is looking at a man who is dying. He's looking at a man on the cross and he is saying to him, hey, I know that you're going to be a king. So even there, I think shows some belief in Jesus's resurrection because he knows that this cross will not be the end for Jesus. And really what we do see is a plea for mercy, that that Jesus would remember him, that he would not get what he deserves, but that he would get what this good and gracious king will give. And then Jesus responds with the amazing words, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, And that's just a beautiful picture of salvation. Really, that's what we're all banking on. All of us should be able to say, I am a sinner. There is a God and I, I, my sin has created a big problem between me and that God. But Jesus, he is the coming king and he died and he rose again. And all I'm doing is calling out to him saying, remember me, remember me, have mercy on me, forgive me, make me one of your people. And we're trusting what we see here and what we see affirmed elsewhere in scripture, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I hope that's just a beautiful picture that encourages your heart. I hope it's also a reminder of assurance that ultimately we look at Jesus. None of us will show up uh, at the gates of heaven, so to speak, and be able to act like we deserve to be there. All of us will only be able to say, hey, the the king told me I could come. Uh, This Jesus Christ, or as one preacher put it, the man on the middle cross said I could come, but we know he is the king. He is the risen king. He has granted me access. I don't deserve it on my own. And I hope that brings us humility. I hope that brings us assurance and with all of that joy today. The Gospel of John also records some uh, unique things. Uh, One is this episode of Jesus talking to what I believe to be the Apostle John, this disciple whom Jesus loved, and his mother. It's likely that Jesus' father has passed away at this point. And so really what Jesus is doing is taking care of of his mom that is likely a widow that is about to lose her firstborn son. And she want, he wants to make sure that his mom is taken care of. So he invites uh, John, the apostle, saying, hey, you need to take care of my mom. Uh, and just showing even on the cross, Jesus thinking very practically about his mother. Uh, what a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and the kind of love that he had. And also, John is the gospel that gives us those beautiful words in English, one word in Greek, it is finished. And so our reading through the Bible for the year is not finished and we'll read so much more about what the meaning of the cross is, but Jesus knew he had accomplished the work that he had come to do. It is finished. Another reason for us to have assurance, as one old preacher put it so well, Jesus on the cross, he said, it is finished. He did not say to be continued. We rest, our faith rests on the finished work of Jesus Christ. We sing sing often, Jesus paid it all. 
And I hope our reading on the cross today encourages us to reflect on those things. Our Old Testament reading today, I think, should encourage us with a reminder of the power of prayer. And first, we're going to see that in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Now, you might be saying, okay, how is a genealogy here in these opening chapters of the book of Chronicles How is this genealogy going to encourage me to pray? Well, I want you to jump into the time machine with me and let's go back about 20, 25 years in American evangelicalism. And you're going to start having memories of this thing called the prayer of Jabez. Do you remember that? became this huge deal. Where in the world does that come from? Well, it comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 4, where it talks about this man named Jabez, and it says he was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. And that became very popular about 20, 25 years ago. In in some ways, I don't think was very healthy. For one thing, it took just what is an example of one prayer in scripture and kind of turned it into this formulaic thing. And even in a lot of cases, it really turned it into more of a prosperity gospel, name it, claim it, you know, just pray this prayer of Jabez and God's going to enlarge your borders and take away all your pain kind of deal. And I don't think that's why this prayer is there. I think just let's step back and let's say, hey, God did put this in the scriptures for a reason. There is something valuable about this prayer, uh, but it is not some formulaic, hey, pray this prayer and God will bless you. It's an example of a man who had some painful circumstances. I mean, they called his name Jabez because I bore him in pain. His name is a play on this idea of pain. Uh, The Hebrew letters match up there, and he's asking God to, to help him. So I think more generally, we see a man in a painful circumstance going to God and asking for help, and God helps him. And that should encourage us to pray because you will come across painful circumstances. And what should you do in those painful circumstances? You should go to God. Now, does that mean, well, if I just do that, God will always take my pain away and always enlarge my border? No, because we have so many other things in Scripture that, that show us that's not always how it works. But what we do see all throughout Scripture is prayer is powerful, and prayer should be what we turn to in our lives. And I think we see another example of that as we look now at Psalm 77. Here is a man in a painful place, and he turns to prayer. But we'll notice even something specific about his prayer. Um, We see that it is a prayer. He's crying aloud to God in verse 1 there in Psalm 77. But he's in a tough spot. Verse 4, you, he's talking to God, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. And he's trying to remember, but he's struggling. Verse 8, he's asking, has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? So there you see, there will be times in life where where things are so hard, you might even begin to question, is God really full of steadfast love? Does the steadfast love of the Lord really never cease? Do his mercies really never come to an end? But then he says in verse 10, I will appeal to this to the years of the right 
hand of the most high. And he goes on basically to say, I I don't know the answer to these questions right now, but I'm going to remember what God has done. He's going to meditate on his works. He's going to remind himself, verse 13, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. And he remembers even the waters fleeing, right? And just all the amazing things that God has done and how he led the people uh, through Moses and Aaron. So there's a good example for prayer as well. When you are in pain, so much pain that you even are unsure, where is God in all of this? Turn to God in prayer. And even as you pray, remind yourself and bring up to God some of the great things he has done to remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. And if there's one thing that should be right there at the top of the list, as you remind yourself of the great things that God has done, it should be the cross of Jesus Christ. And I hope looking at that these last couple days has encouraged and refreshed your faith. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.